Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. You're seeing Facebook start to track the untrackable. I have heard direct response marketers make the argument that if you're an offline business, you should not do any type of Facebook because if you can't track it, what's the point? (laughs) The point is it's driving tremendous awareness and customers into the building. The fact that you don't know about it, but I can't track it. How am I going to track it? How am I going to know that my investment is paying off? You're listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. Hello and welcome to episode number 102 of Perpetual Traffic. We are in Austin, Texas at Digital Marketer Headquarters. Ralph, Molly, myself, and Scott DeGrossier. Scott and me are sitting right next to each other, sharing a microphone, hugging each other. And the reason we've got Scott DeGrossier today here is because he's an expert on tracking ROI from your paid traffic campaigns. He's the founder of Wicked Reports, which is an amazing software. Almost every single one of our clients is a customer of Wicked Reports. We recommend it to most all of our customers as well. And we're gonna be talking about Facebook offline events. If you're somebody that has clients, if you run traffic for clients, whether they have uh, an offline business, a retail store location, maybe they're a restaurant or a gym or e-commerce products, and this is gonna be relevant to you. I think this is huge. Even if you're not a local business, if you are a business where some action that you care about, whether it's a lead, whether it's a sale, whether it's someone attending your event, whether that action happens in a place where a pixel can't track, this is important to you. Big picture, you're seeing Facebook start to track the untrackable. So we've talked a lot about why is digital marketing great? Why do we all like digital marketing? Well, 
It's cheap. You can buy traffic for as little as like $5 a day. And you can also track most of the actions that happen. So it's why something like a billboard is tough to justify as a marketer because it's really expensive. So you have an incredible investment, one-time investment, and you can't necessarily track the results. It's like when big brands track brand lift. They're tracking brand lift because they're spending so much money and their products are sold in so many different ways and in so many different places that they can't really track the ROI of a particular campaign. And at the end of this episode, I know that there's a sound clip from Ryan Dice. He was in the room here with us earlier talking a little bit about what this means big picture. And there are definitely some issues with it. But for us to have the ability to upload data that didn't happen online and overlay that with your Facebook data and figure out how many people have actually seen your ad is huge. So I think this is definitely the first step in us being able to track people wherever they are, right? And whatever they're doing and figuring out if they have interacted with your ads in the past. Really today, Scott, you're going to be explaining how all of this stuff works. Well, I mean, our mission at Wicked Reports is to turn small business data into money. And in this case, Facebook came out with a game-changing thing that any business can use from any ad spend. And it has a multitude of benefits and a few caveats that you got to be aware of. It's called offline events. But what Facebook means by offline event is something that the pixel can't track. And the reason why this is important for any business is that it's tracking real leads and real sales. So not that the pixel isn't always tracking things that are real, but there's occasional complexities and dramas with the pixel that happen for all sorts of reasons. But an event is you are telling Facebook, here's a real sale that happened in my business, or here is a real lead, and you can upload those things, and then Facebook will let you know what was the last thing that that person viewed or clicked on in the Facebook ad platform. This has a lot of repercussions. You can be an offline business, a pizza shop, a restaurant, a florist, a dry cleaner. You run an ad. You have no idea really did it present a lot of sales lift because maybe your sales, maybe you have you know 50 sales in a given day. That's not maybe so many that normally the pixel is going to even see because people come into your store to make the purchase. Well, with this capability, if Facebook can detect the person, it's going to tell you, hey, they last viewed or saw this particular ad, which gives you some visibility that, hey, my ads are leading to real trackable things that matter in my business. So just for people that have never seen this, so you find it in Business Manager. It's in the Business Manager tab. It says offline events. It's really similar to uploading a data custom audience. You're just adding information about the actual purchase too. And then you have to approve of the policy Facebook has regarding, hey, you're gonna share customer sensitive data and there's you know legalese around that. You create an event set and then you get your data in the format they needed it, which the more personal info you send, the more accurate it's going to be. And so if you have phone number, address, name, email, zip code, you're gonna get really good tracking. They have it in two different categories. So when you're uploading your customer list or your email list, Facebook has different identifiers, right? So you can upload based on email address, phone number, mobile ad ID, first name, last name, zip code, city, country, county, date of birth, year of birth, gender, age, Facebook app user ID, Facebook page user ID, external ID, and lead ID. 
Obviously, you don't have to have all of those identifiers, but those are all things that Facebook will match. So if you're uploading buyers or you're uploading leads, the more information you have, the better, the higher your match rate is going to be. Even if you just know that it's Ralph Burns in Boston, that might match to Ralph's actual Facebook profile if those identifiers are on his page. But also they have event descriptors. So this is what's different from a data custom audience. You're not only uploading the identifiers, right, which there are 17, you're also uploading these event descriptors, which are things like event time. So at what time did they purchase the product? Event name, what did they purchase? Value, how much did it cost? Yeah, and I think the thing is with this is that the more identifiers and the more event descriptions that you have, the better, because I mean, I think this is an additive solution. And in some cases, it really won't be relevant to your business. <laughs> you won't really need to do this. And if you're pure purely online, chances are you're getting pretty good tracking just through the regular Facebook conversion event uh, or an online conversion as Facebook would, would identify it through your ads manager, which is in most of the cases when we've tested it, that's still been the dominant way in which we track our ROI. But this is definitely a, a step in the right direction. And as you'll hear later, when Ryan talks about this, it's another way in which Facebook is now identifying the fact that you know if you are not at least spending some money on advertising, if you're a local business or a physical products business, this is an additive effect to it. And a lot of folks are looking back and saying, well, you know, if I spend $100 on Facebook, how do I actually know if I got a hundred dollars plus in return. Well, you might never get perfect data here, but at least this is an attempt to go in that direction. So you can have some causation towards an earlier event, which in this case is a Facebook ad. Even at Digital Marketer, we sell a lot online. So most of our tracking is done through a Facebook pixel. But last year, we added a sales team. So a lot of conversions and sales are happening over the phone or inside of a personal email conversation. So it's harder for us to track those sales. This is the perfect solution for us. We can export those people, upload it here, and see how many of them interacted with one of our ads. Obviously, I think it's great for local Local businesses. Can you think of any other use cases, Scott? Dentists and lawyers, healthcare, chiropractors, they can run an ad and they can just say, hey, come into my office in this certain time frame and you'll get this. And rather than have to have some convoluted process to track it, it's going to show them, hey, did the people here in my service business see an ad within a certain time frame? Yeah. So it's, it's huge value. If people are going to see a video of any kind and then make a purchase or join your list, that's been always challenging to track as someone who tracks for a living. And now it won't be. <laughs> so how does it work exactly? So they've seen an ad in the last infinity. So you can set different windows. Their default is 30 days back. And what's going to happen? Let's say Ralph from Boston buys. buys a, what does he buy? He buys a fishing pole. <laughs> I buy a fishing pole because I do a lot of fishing. Okay. Nine days ago... Ralph was just captivated by someone pulling a brown trout out of a stream on his feet. <laughs> he needed to become one with nature. It took him nine days to get into Joe's angler shop. And he goes in, he buys lures, he buys a pole, buys his waders, gets all into it. Then Joe's angler is like, he's dealing with fish all day and he's paying someone local, you know, I don't know, 500 bucks to run his ads maybe. Well, that guy's running his ads and, you know, Joe at Joe's angler shop isn't really going to think to do much tracking on that. So... His ad consultant can upload the sales. Ralph, Boston, Mass, zip, probably address for his payment. 
Well, Facebook can match that. And then the consultant, even though maybe there was no tracking, maybe they created, you know, landing pages and all this elaborate stuff. And Ralph didn't care. He was so excited. He dropped his computer and <laughs> broke. He couldn't opt in. Drop my iPhone in the water. Well, then this is going to capture him a fair amount of the time. Facebook says 60 to 80%. So let's call it 70. Seven out of 10 of the Ralphs are going to be captured. So it's not foolproof. It goes back 30 days in time. So it's not necessarily saying... They saw this and immediately bought, but it's evidence that buyers are seeing this thing before they do it. And that's a leap forward for sure. And prior to this, you had no tracking. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. It's validation. So in that use case, it's perfect. Right. Um, you know, and I'm very excited to take up the sport of fishing now. <laughs> I also think it, it also keeps you from having to put some sort of special coupon code in the ad, right? right? Like come to this restaurant, mm-hmm. use the coupon code 15MXDWY and you're like writing it down, having to remember it. And then you expect people, patrons to come in your store and use that coupon because it's the only way that you can track. Some of them will use it, but honestly, that's a terrible user experience. I don't want to go in a restaurant and be like, oh, yeah, and for my 10% off, here's my code. Like most people just aren't going to do that. So it keeps you also from having to use some kind of goofy code or some back-ass way that you're trying to track people coming into your store. It's creating light where there is total darkness. It's also great for people that do online sales, but also have retail stores. So we were talking about someone like Bass Pro Shop. They're running a lot of ads. They're running a lot of awareness ads and people can buy a lot of their products online, but they're unable to track the effect that their digital marketing efforts have on anyone that walks into their store, right? That's just added benefit at this point. So even though it's not perfect, the ability to say, people that are coming into my store can be attributed back to a particular campaign. I think it's pretty powerful. A digital marketer, we sell online, but we also have products that are sold where no pixel can reach. That's the big power here. Yeah. And so in that case, I mean, you, you look back into your ads manager and say, oh, well, ad number one for interest grouping three was the thing that got Ralph to buy the fishing pole. When in fact, yes, as a Facebook advertising agency, I would absolutely say that. But in, in fact, is it really the event? It, it might have been the thing that created the awareness, or it might have been the thing that started the research, or it might have been the 17th thing that I did prior to actually making the purchase. You don't know. But at least you have some idea of tracking of attribution back to a paid traffic source. It may or may not been the smoking gun that led to me buying this very expensive fishing pole um, and all the other stuff, but at least it's something, whereas before you didn't have it at all. And I think that's what you guys will hear in the conversation at the end of this episode. I think conversations around tracking and everything that Scott does at Wicked Reports is really powerful. Being able to know down to the penny how much trackable money you made from a particular campaign or an email, that's incredibly powerful. But you can really pigeonhole yourself by trying to overtrack too. I I definitely believe that because if you're trying to track everything down to the penny, you're not taking into consideration the other effects that your marketing has, right? So if it's that one ad that got Ralph to come into the store, that doesn't mean that the other ads are bad, Mm -hmm. right? It's just in Ralph's relationship with your business, he was ready to buy after he saw that ad. Great. But Ryan makes the point that even in a relationship, 
relationship or when you're proposing marriage, you can't track her saying yes back to that one birthday present that you got her, that one date that you went on. It's a cumulative effect. So Mm -hmm. always keeping that in mind when we're talking about tracking and that no marketing, unless it's a bad message, has gone to waste, in my opinion. And, And this is, you know, in deference to our guest here, and this is where Wicked Reports actually is very beneficial. In actuality, it really does track everything past that 30-day window. And, you know, for regular conversions, it's 28 days. And we see this all the time with customers, which you can actually track inside Wicked Reports. You see, when did Brian Jones buy, you know, the $297 product? Well, he bought it yesterday, but what led him to that event? Well, he first clicked on an ad back in November. Then he opted in first week in December. Then he opted in again to another lead magnet in the middle of December. Then he bought a tripwire. Then he bought another thing. And then finally, he bought the $297 product here in May, June. So like all those clicks, all those actions are actually trackable back through Wicked Reports, which is very cool. And it does help validate, at least that's one of the reasons why we use it as a standard sort of uh, insertion for any new customer is that we we have Wicked Reports data tracking there because it does track the long-term value of your ads and a cumulative effect of like what they did. But right. the customer journey is not linear. It's like chaotic, I mean, everyone takes, you know, anywhere between one click and 27 opt-ins and clicks and purchases to get to where you want them to be. There's no, you know, method to the madness, but you can actually see it visually inside Wicked Reports, which is wicked cool. Yeah. And that is what makes Wicked Reports so powerful is that you can look at a campaign that you started running a year ago and realize that you've generated so much more revenue from that campaign than you did within the first seven days of its existence. And even though that's not the way we're always tracking success, we want to make our money back within 30 days. It gives you a sense of relief or your boss a sense of relief or whomever's money it is, a sense of relief to know that these campaigns have a much higher lifetime value, if done right, than you expect. And and that's the power of something like Wicked Reports, being able to figure out well, on average, you know, at Digital Marketers, someone purchases 2.3, so we're going to call it three tripwires before they actually become a DM Lab member. Well, that's really important for us to know. Without that metric, without Wicked Reports, we wouldn't know that we needed to be patient, that people need to buy two to three of these things before they actually become a monthly continuity member of DM Lab. So the numbers are very powerful, but holding yourself to unrealistic numbers, needing to break even within a few days, you're losing the the big picture. You're losing the real benefit of what marketing does for your business. People get excited if they make 12, 15 or 20% annually on any kind of investment, whether it's a stock market or real estate, right? But they don't understand if you put like $1,000 into your business in January, you go in in December and look at your wicked reports, you're like, holy crap, that $1,000 actually generated 10,000 or 12,000 in this many leads. And like, oh my gosh, I'm building these assets. Plus my return wasn't 20%. It was actually 3,000% because you're looking at it on an annualized basis. Originally, when I was looking at attribution, I thought it was just, oh, show the ROI and, and I'm done here. And really it became... What question are you trying to answer and what are you going to do with it? And that's what led me to, you know, invent the idea of first opt-in attribution, which was where did you find your best customers? 
Well, you, where you first found them was how they first joined your list. That's a big commitment to opt in. And then someone's going to start emailing you, push notifying you, you know, just be Who retargeting the hell out of you. <laughs> Who does yep. that in this room? Like, all of you nobody. guys very, very well. I see all your grills following me around the internet. <laughs> and so that's a big commitment, especially nowadays. But that leads to the purchase. So if you're just running things on the last click or in this offline conversion, a risk of it is if you just try to say, hey, Facebook's showing me these are where my sales came from. I'm going to triple my spend here and show it to all these new audiences. That may or may not work because you need to know where they are in the whole customer journey. And so that was kind of why we led back to how did you find the lead first? Yeah, you guys have some crazy like 17,000% ROI someone had. And they weren't even running to the ad set. Some music person had done an ad set and with you guys and turned it off. And then they saw, oh, hey, where's all this money coming from? And the leads were killer. But it's like, think about anyone with a lot of disposable income. They're not just making rash purchases on Facebook every day. That's probably why they have a lot of disposable income. Yeah. So they, you got to earn their trust. You got to validate it. They're going to call and vet you, look at reviews. But those are like the killer leads. Those yeah. are the killer leads. So they're either more expensive exactly. or they take longer and you got to earn their business. But then when they buy and it's 90 days later, you know where they are, you're going to make a lot more of it because then you know where you found them. You right. still got to do all these other things, but that's a key point. That's a big reason we did add a sales team here at Digital Marketer. They're not cold calling anybody. The sales team, and I'm putting that in quotations because they're really not even a sales team, they just talk to people. So the people that need that extra conversation, we generate the lead on Facebook, they're on our email list, and they start to see some of our promotions, but they're just not sure. They either don't trust us or they have extra questions. Well, the sales team is just there to talk to those people, to help overcome those doubts, to help validate whatever they need to validate so that that person can make that purchase. It's a much longer sales cycle and we're paying for a human to talk to them, but it pays off in the end, especially when you're at a certain amount of scale in a business, you're reaching the people that aren't as product aware, or aren't as solution aware. So they need a little bit of extra time to actually purchase. But again, I think this is very powerful, not just for what it is now, but it's also showing where Facebook's going, right? They realize that they have to validate and, and justify that their advertising works for people who can't see the sales right in front of their face. So imagine where this will go. I'm sure eventually uh, Facebook will be able to tell you how many people entered your store because they know where you are on your phone from a particular ad. Like, I think this is going to go way past uploading CSV files. Like, this is just the beginning of Facebook continuing to, to justify that their advertising works. It's in their self-interest to do this, of course, because, I mean, if you can point back to the fact that Facebook had something to do with that offline conversion event, then obviously that person who is running those ads is going to continue to run those ads. I mean, it's just smart business to do this. It really isn't that complicated. I don't know why they waited until November to do it. But I mean, there is some cases where this is absolutely not useful at all. And we've done this because we've got customers that, you know, in the agency that are primarily all online sales. So we actually did a test where we had about a thousand sales and then, you know, for just a regular online conversion event and then did an offline conversion event. And we found that there was about a 30% difference between the two. 
that the uh, the uploaded CSV didn't actually match the user IDs and all the information that Facebook has from that original Facebook conversion event. So therefore, it was somewhat useless for us. So I mean, there is cases where this is not like the panacea to, oh, finally, I'm going to get like the greatest tracking and everything is going to match. No, it's not going to. So in that case, it's a waste of time. And if the most of your conversions are coming online, this really isn't going to be all that helpful. Because what would be helpful is if these two lists, the offline conversions, as well as the online conversion lists, were mutually exclusive. Basically, meaning that they remove the duplicates so that you did get sort of a master list or a master number for offline plus online conversions. Right now, that isn't happening. So people get very confused with that and like, oh, well, you know, if I actually did offline events or offline conversion versus my online, it actually shows that I'm getting 700 conversions, whereas in your data, an online conversion is getting a thousand conversions, but 700 must be true. No, that's not the case. So the data is not perfect by any stretch, but I think the big takeaway here, and we actually debated this before we started the show, and the reason why we're not really using it much is because of that point. But we don't have a lot of local businesses. We don't have a lot of like physical bricks and mortar type of customers that you know we serve as an agency. So we wouldn't probably use it as much, but I can definitely see where it would be helpful. And let me put that into context because it was confusing to me and and I argued with Ralph until I realized he was right. You can say that again, by the way. Ralph was right. <laughs> um, so if you are using offline events, remember that data is not going to speak to your pixel data. So for example, the reason that this would work for us at Digital Marketer is with our HQ product. The only way that it's sold outright the only way that you can actually buy it at full price is by speaking to a member of our sales team. Online, you can start a 14-day trial of it, but you can't make the actual purchase online. So if I were to upload our sales data of people that purchased HQ outright, if I was to upload that as offline event data, it would be totally accurate because Facebook would tell me, you know, how many of those sales actually came from a Facebook campaign. Now, the reason that that would work is because there's no other way to purchase that product than offline. If we were selling HQ at full price online and I was uploading this offline event data, there would be a lot of crossover that Facebook is not yet able to identify. So hopefully they will fix that issue. But just keep in mind that if you are uploading that data and there is a way to purchase it online, there may be some, some overlap. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't use it, but keep in mind that it might skew your numbers, right? Yeah. So Ralph as an agency doesn't want to go to his clients and give them bad numbers, right. right? But if you're running this on your own and you know that the money that you're spending more is coming back to you, it's fine. Use this and see how it works for you. If you want perfect numbers, definitely don't use this because there's going to be a huge overlap between the two if there's a way to buy this online. In this case, like for the one customer, I think this would be useful for. They were selling this, you know, baseboard replacement overlay for like baseboard heating units, typically in the Northeast and places where it's uh, colder than it is here in Austin. It's not 90 degrees every single day. They they sold their product, actually. We ran their ads for three plus years. They sold their product exclusively on Home Depot. So what was happening is that what we did is we created campaigns that were link click ads because we could 
would not put a Facebook pixel on Home Depot. They wouldn't give us the authority to do it. They wouldn't give us an affiliate link. That wasn't very nice of them. But anyway, so every once in a while, their credit card would fail or something like that. And I'd get an urgent call like, what happened? Panic. Nobody's buying these things anymore. So we knew we couldn't necessarily say, oh, well, this Facebook ad is leading to this many sales. But we knew as soon as the Facebook ad stopped, the demand stopped in the stores. So where this would be really helpful offline events is that if we got an uploaded list and they did actually get customer lists of people who purchased this product, if we took that CSV, I don't know how many fields, say it's name, address, phone number, whatever it is, credit card data, whatever it happens to be, time of purchase, timestamp, if we could upload that into Facebook and the ads manager for those ads, we could now see a return on it. We could now see like which ad is actually leading to which potential sale and how many sales and attach a monetization to it roughly because we knew the average cost of sale. So in that case, this would be an absolute game changer for them. The reason why Facebook is doing this in general is because so many people doubt the impact of all of this with all this is happening. I think this is a great segue for our conversation with, with Ryan is this story that you just told because basically they were not doing any other marketing, okay? This is important. When they would run Facebook ads, they would have a link out from their Facebook ads to Home Depot's website, which they had no access to at all, okay? No other marketing, and guess what? Their test run with a few stores, they started running Facebook ads, so Home Depot saw their sales coming in, so they started adding that product to more stores. So they rolled out to more Home Depot, and then they continued to run Facebook ads. And then once in a while, there'd be something, you know, credit card expiration or something like that, so the Facebook ads would stop, and so Ralph would get the email immediately, or within a few days when he gets the report from Home Depot, from the client, hey, what's going on? Our sales at Home Depot slowed down. It's because the Facebook ads got turned off. So people, you have to understand whether the tracking is right or wrong. Your ads, if done like the way we talk about in this podcast, are probably making a much bigger impact than you realize. So there is one caveat to the offline conversions, and that's the cross-channel attribution puzzle, which is, let's take you guys, digital marketer, doing or any of your clients as well. Most likely they're doing AdWords retargeting, then you're going to be doing Facebook pixel tracking, Facebook offline conversion. And then you're also doing email, potentially Google Analytics to goals or hopefully with Wicked Reports, but you're tracking it somehow. Team Wicked. Yes. So then all three are going to always try to take the most optimistic view of their performance. They're all going to claim credit. AdWords display ads are going to go back 30 days with a view through. So all those ads that are following you around, like Molly following me around, looking at me, hey, you should join Lab or whatever. If I bought that AdWords is going to say, hey, this is the last thing you looked at in 30 days. This is what made the sale. And then Facebook with offline conversions is going to say, hey, that video that you saw from Ryan eight days ago, that was what converted you. And then email tracking is going to show the last email click and say, hey, this email is what made the sale. So you got to proceed with caution because you got to know when you're looking at a conversion point, where it fits in the journey and why it matters and where you can scale the spend to what audience And can I trust this completely? And in many cases, you've got to be really clear on that before you just, you know, back up the Brinks truck and start spending. In all those cases, they all helped. Like, what was the one that did it? It might have been the email click, if that was your last click attribution. But was it 
the thing. Well, everything leading up to that point, uh, I would contend, had something to do with that event. Right. They never would have heard of you without the Facebook ad, but the email click was was the last click. And, and I think this is where we all can get into a lot of trouble being really direct responsy. And, and what you'll hear from Ryan, he said, direct response seeks to give one thing all of the credit. And not that you shouldn't be measuring the effect that your different campaigns have, but back to the, the relationship, right? Realizing that there are many actions that lead up to the thing that you ultimately want. So it's just the way you look at it. And a lot of times it's not that the data is wrong. You're just looking at different attribution on different platforms. So they're interpreting the data different ways. I would say at a minimum, even if you have no data, you can look at your customer's order date and the date that they first joined your CRM and get that. We call that sales velocity to first sale. It's a fancy term, but it means just how long till someone buys. Because yeah. if, if you can see, hey, in general, they're taking two weeks to buy and I have all this last touch attribution, then, you know, I can use this, but I don't want to use it to get leads. But once I have leads, I want to pound the reopt-in ads with this because I know it's closing people. Yeah. That'd be a quick way to use it without getting in the weeds of how do I set up every touch point track? I like that. Yeah. Sure. Scott, you're a data guy. You've built this awesome piece of software that a lot of people use in their business. And I know that there isn't one thing, but Looking at all the data you look at and the way that businesses use it, what do you think is the the number one metric people should be tracking? Is it sales velocity? What What's the number one metric they can look to that if they're monitoring could really affect the decisions they're making in the business? I think it's first opt-in attribution, which is what's the ROI on my ad spend that got new leads that ended up buying? Because that's what everyone wants to know. Where do I find new people that are going to buy? Right. And even if it's not like a traditional email opt-in on a lead magnet, think about what is that conversion that happens in your business? Is it them signing up for a demo, right? Are they getting on a webinar? Are they coming into your store? So whatever that first interaction is, where did it come from? What creates a lead yeah. for the first time? That's a big emotional commitment. And then as the value goes up over time... Then you can start getting fancy with how long until my ROI and all that stuff. But really, everyone wants to find new leads to buy. Yeah. And that way you can go get more of them. All right. Enough numbers. All right. On to Ryan. We had one mic hot while he was talking. So you might hear us chiming in a little bit, but not much. It's going to be just Ryan kind of a little rant about this whole big picture scenario. I hope you enjoy that conversation and all this talk. And other than that, Scott, where can people find you out more about you or Wicked Reports? Well, to illustrate tracking, I set up a URL just for this called Wicked Podcast. If you go there, first of all, you can learn more, but also I'll break down how I'm tracking this interaction so you can understand more and put more real-time, your actions you say against the attribution. Accent. Say that again, the URL. Wicked Podcast. Wicked Podcast, dude. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Ralph. <laughs> Wicked Podcast. I it's Wicked it. Piss a Kid. Just go there. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me there, brother. <laughs> wickedpodcast.com and I'll walk you through the tracking of how I tracked this particular episode and how it relates to my business so you can see how it would relate to yours kind of put real interaction behind all this data awesome good stuff also an upcoming episode to get excited for the Rebetual Traffic team will be talking with Ryan about ad blockers. If you've been listening to the news or anything that's going on with Apple or Google Chrome, um, you'll notice that ad blockers are becoming even more of a thing, which is creating panic for a lot of advertisers who are worried about 
retargeting, right? Are we going to be able to retarget people? Are we going to be able to pixel people? Are we going to be able to follow up? And so Ryan Dice is going to come on and talk about ad blockers and really how he sees the future and how we as advertisers are going to or not going to be affected by all of this hoopla. So get excited for that episode. All right, here's Ryan. How does any one thing get all the credit? Yeah. Right? The problem with direct response is that it seeks to give one thing either all the credit or one thing a part yeah. of the credit. And that just isn't how anything ever works. It's yeah. always a build. Direct so, response seeks to give everything all the credit. And that's just it not seeks to it seeks to give one thing yeah, all the credit. Thing. It wants to make every little piece individually accountable. As if all of these things are happening in isolation, and that just isn't how anything ever works. Just the same way, I mean, if you bring it back to a relationship, right? Like, was it because you just said something really smart at the proposal that that's why she married you? No, it was a build. Is it the one gift you gave her? No, it what? was like the dates and every, exactly. the relationship. That it you was built. the relationship as a whole, right? And so I think where attribution fails is it is seeking to engineer and come up with metrics around relationship right right? and so engineers want to geek out about attribution and and you'll have people arguing about does the first thing get the credit or does the last thing get all the credit that was the first argument and now everybody was like well that's not really fair so what we need to do now is we need to figure out what are all the different pieces along the way that impacted it and now let's try to proportion out which one should get the credit that doesn't work either right all of these things all these things fail so So what are you ultimately using it for? You're using it to validate, should it be getting a lot, some or none of your budget? Like that's really what you're looking at. And if you're a skilled marketer, if you know your customers, then you got to know how are you going to allocate out your budget? What I believe that this is going to do is it's going to hopefully make digital marketers more comfortable with offline type stuff. It's going to make it easier for them to say like, oh yeah, this stuff that we couldn't track before and therefore we like to pretend like it did nothing. Yeah, now maybe we should put some investment there. What it's going to do and where I think it's going to wind up pissing people off is it's going to realize that really our marketing kind of needs to be more complicated than it is right now. Yeah, It's not just this one thing. It's we need to do all these other things. It's we kind of need to be everywhere. It's we kind of need to do all this stuff. It's kind of like when you're wooing someone trying to say like, what's the minimum number of dates that we need to have at a given time to really forward this relationship on? Mm-hmm. What you would never say that, right? You want to try to be everywhere that you can to the extent that you can. And so I think what it would do now, what it, what it could do is say, we're not really seeing anything coming up for this particular offline deal. Like we always wondered if this, had, this isn't showing up at all. Right. So you don't use it to, to justify ROI. Oh, to speak to, does this thing have a positive ROI? You use it for budget allocation. That's the main driver. And if you find that these previously untrackable sources, you look at it, you go, wow. There's more going on there than we thought. How does that not only inform additional investment offline, but how does it inform additional investment online? Because oftentimes your offline have an online equivalent. There's some overlap there. But it's informing that we should continue to to spend more of our budget in that particular area. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think it, it informs that you need to spend more on budget. I think you've got to be really, really, really careful uh, when you're going through this because you do have the outliers. 
that can throw everything off. So we had one person come through and buy $200,000 worth of stuff. You know, that's, yeah. an, that's an outlier. And now that you know it, if that is the one thing that took something from an absolute loser to a, wow, that's actually a winner, but it's statistically insignificant from a number standpoint, then you probably can't count on that moving forward. The, the same thing happens to investors who do backtesting. Like we want to perceive that, that this thing that occurred is now predictive. Like, and then this pattern will naturally, if repeated again and again, will always yield the same result. And that is never really how it works, yeah, right? Yes. What it's going to wind up informing is, God dang it, look at these people, how they're bouncing all around like crazy, right? And what it's going to tell you is you kind of need to be everywhere. I think it's going to tell people that everything works and nothing works. For offline businesses, I think it's critical. And I think what it'll do is I think it'll tell offline businesses that they need to be investing in online, even though they can't track it. I, I have heard direct response marketers make the argument that if you're an offline business, you know, you should not do any type of Facebook unless you're driving them to like a landing page where they download a coupon and they come in because if you can't track it, what's the point? What do you mean, what's the point? The point is it's driving tremendous awareness and customers into the building. The fact that you don't know about it, but I can't track it. How am I going to track it? How am I going to know that my investment is paying off? I don't know, man. How are you going to know when you buy that girl dinner that she's going to wind up sleeping with you? You know, I mean, hopefully you don't. Oh, yeah. So it's, what you got to do is like, we got to split test it. How? Stop. <laughs> stop yeah, exactly. You're going to just stop. Yeah. And, and now let's watch it tank. So what do larger brands do, right? They take an investment in advertising. They take a budget and they say, we're going to deploy this to the best of our abilities. And we're going to hope that sales increase. And the sales increase, we're going to assume that we pretty much did a good job. That's where even the term brand lift came from, right? Because they couldn't speak in terms of ROI or sales mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. And look, if if you have a really teeny tiny budget, then by all means, you should probably spend it in some way that's immediately and directly accountable. But God dang, hopefully you exhaust that pretty quickly and you just want to drive heft. And that's going to come through stuff that oftentimes is not trackable. Now that you have this, right, I'd, I'd be really careful of, of turning off things Because even if they didn't click on it, do they see it? You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Grant, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. John Moran here. Q1 is closing and it probably didn't go as well as you'd hoped. I'm sure your agency is telling you that they crushed it, but in reality, it probably crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you, or if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what, go to tier11.com forward slash apply. That's tier11.com forward slash apply. And we'll get set up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make agencies look good.